long passage. Well, I wonder uh, if you've ever heard of this phrase, if you know, you know. Heard of it? If you know, you know. It's, um, if you don't know, then it's, it's actually a phrase to, to tell you that there's some things that some people have inside knowledge about. It's like a private joke. If you know it, then you know the inside knowledge. If you don't, then you don't. So if I say to you this morning, I love you 3,000. See, some of you immediately get what I'm talking about. If you know, you know. If you don't, I'm not going to say. There are whole Facebook groups, aren't there, operating on this idea of inside knowledge. Of course, the biggest Facebook group in the world is one called, one of my favorites, Subtle Asian Traits. It's all about people who are Asian and what they know as insider private jokes. So I found a few recent subtle Asian trait memes on this idea of if you know, you know, and let's see if you know. If you know, you know. If you know Chinese, you'll know why. How about this one? Yeah? And how about this one? This stuff's disgusting, I hate it. But if you know, you know. And then finally... (laughs) What Asian kid hasn't had that experience? Ma, can I sleep over my friend's house? Your house no better. (laughs) So many of our social experiences and groups and friendships, jobs, our own identity have that sort of inside versus outside element, right? Some people are in it, some people are outside of it. Think about the different social groups or the clubs that you might be a part of in your school or university or the company you work in. There are those who are in, there are those who are out. There are those who are included, there are those who are excluded. Now that's all fair and well out there, but what happens when that comes into the church? What happens when that comes into a church? Some will be on the inside. Others will be on the outside. Some will feel superior. Others will made to feel inferior and left out. Now you can imagine what that would do to relationships within the church that are actually supposed to be about equal love and care for everyone. When that comes into the church, it's a disaster, isn't it? Well, you know what? That was the ancient church of Corinth. This was, and the title of our series is Messy Church, because it was a messy, divided church. Now, a church is very, very, very gifted, especially when it comes to supernatural, spiritual blessings. We'll see that in a moment. But it was a church that's very immature, very ungodly in the way that it handled these supernatural blessings. Now, if we as Swek are to be a mature and godly church, then we would do very well to pay attention to what went wrong there. Because we're not that different sometimes to Corinthian churches. So let's pray and let's ask God to help us as we get into this passage. Father God, this chapter is in some ways such a big rebuke for you on your church back then through Paul to the Corinthians, but also potentially to us. So help us to hear it and help us to be a church that does function as a loving, united body of Christ. Amen. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 is one of the key chapters on this idea of spiritual gifts and what it means to play our part in the body of Christ. And that's going to be the key image, the key metaphor 
for church, the body of Christ. Now, I've got seven key points to help us navigate this chapter, and they're on your outlines for you. So firstly, let's go through one and why one. Firstly, all Christians are spiritual. Now, you look at chapter 12, verse 1, it begins with now about spiritual gifts. Unfortunately, our English translations over-translate that. Actually, it should read now about spiritual matters or spiritual things. The word spiritual gifts doesn't come up until verse 4. He actually wants to bring in a topic about spiritual things in general before he goes into specifically about spiritual gifts. Now, this reminds us of the context of the letter so far. And we started 1 Corinthians last year. We're actually continuing in chapter 12 now. So let me do a quick recap. 1 Corinthians is one of the New Testament's earliest letters written by the Apostle Paul, church planter, pastor, missionary, to a church that he planted and pastored in the ancient city of Corinth in ancient Greece. Now, Corinth was a, a vibrant cosmopolitan city in the ancient world at the heart of civilization, but Corinth is more New York than it is Washington, D.C. It's more Melbourne than it is Canberra, if you know kind of the difference what I'm talking about. It's about culture, it's about the vibe, it's, that's the kind of city Corinth was about. But it was a messy church. The world and its values outside the church really heavily influenced God's people rather than it be the other way around, that God's people should be influencing the world. No, it was coming in. And so much of 1 Corinthians chapters 1 to 6 were dealing with problems that came from the world infecting the church. And then from chapter 7 onwards, Paul replies and responds to a letter that we don't have, that they wrote to Paul, but he now responds point by point, to things that they've raised. That's from chapter 7 onwards. And he'll start each section with now concerning or now about the matters you raise. And that's exactly what's going on in chapter 12. Now concerning, now about these spiritual matters. Now back in chapter 7, he begins with a discussion about marriage and singleness. And then in chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11, it's going to be about food that had been sacrificed to idols because this is a, you know, a pagan society with lots of idols, lots of temples. And food sacrifices, should we eat them? Should we not eat them? When can we? When can't we? And then that turns in those later chapters to issues about worship and what you do in the public worship assembly. So that's chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11. And then chapter 12, it's the next issue. And the issue has to do with spiritual gifts. Now the first thing that Paul wants to establish then in verse 1 is that every Christian is spiritual. That's my first point. Every Christian is spiritual. Now, that's different to how the Corinthians were acting, because they were acting as if there were some who were more spiritual, insiders, versus some who were less spiritual, outsiders. Right? Some were more spiritual than others because they had certain gifts and experiences. And Paul wants to say in those first three verses, which we won't read again, but his point is simply, no, that's not the case. You see what he's saying? Every Christian, he says, who confesses that Jesus is Lord has the Holy Spirit. See, when a person follows Jesus as Lord and Savior, God gives you a new heart by giving you His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God Himself, God the third person of the Trinity. God coming inside you to live in you. You become a dwelling place, a temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is true of every single follower of Jesus, every single Christian, from the baby Christian from day one to a decades-old Christian, from newcomer to church pastor. Every Christian 
Every follower of Jesus is equally spiritual. Now, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, God is saying to you today that you can have a new heart. You can have a new beginning. God can actually take up residence in your life and change you from the inside out by His Spirit if you will give your life to Jesus and trust in Him. And if that's you, come and speak to me or one of the pastors afterwards because we'd love for you to experience what we have. But if you have, then this is Paul's point. Everyone is genuinely equal. All Christians are spirit-filled, so therefore all Christians are spiritual. That's my first point. Second point. All Christians are charismatic. Now, verse 4, Paul now begins to talk about spiritual gifts, right? Remember verse 1? It's really more broadly. Who is spiritual? Spiritual matters. Now he uses the word spiritual gifts, which in the Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, is the word charismata. Charismata is related to, the first part of that word is the word charis, which is actually someone's name, okay? It's where we get the word charity from in English. Charis means grace. Grace, such an important word in the, uh, the biblical ideas. And grace is free, undeserved favors. Grace is not something you can earn. Grace is given to you completely free, even though you don't deserve it. So charismata, therefore, are grace gifts. Gifts of, gifts of grace, grace gifts. That's the central idea. <clears throat> now, later on in verse 7, it's going to be really clear. Every single Christian is not only spiritual, every single Christian has been given at least one grace gift, at least one charismata. We are all, in the original sense of the word, therefore we are all charismatics. Now I want you to note three things, though, about spiritual gifts. Firstly, remember that they are charismata. Charis is the important first part of that word. It's out of grace. When it comes to spiritual gifts, you don't deserve them. They're given to you as gifts. They're free. You didn't earn them. So there's no place for boasting, is there? There's no place for thinking, I'm better than someone else. Because it's a gift from God to you. Second thing, they are gifts given not just to you, but they're given to you for the sake of others. Right, they're given to you for the sake of others. So I might come to you and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to deposit $10,000 in your bank account. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Or I might come to say to you and say, I'm going to give you $10,000 in your bank account because I want you to use that $10,000 this year in May during the Red Shield Appeal, Salvos, to actually use that $10,000 to bless others. You see, it's, it's still a gift, but one is for you to use selfishly. The other is for you to, as a gift through you to others. Charismata is more like the second. It's a gift to you, but for others. Right? Not to, for you to just keep to yourself and feel proud of. More of that later. That's the second thing. Third thing. Spiritual gifts are not talents. All right, they may involve talents, but they don't equal talents. Often we think that, a spiritual gift is simply a talent. Now, I think that's a big thing we need to get over because a talent is quite different to how spiritual gifts are described in this chapter. A talent usually means you are exceptionally good at something or you have a naturally, natural ability to do something better than others. You're talented at something. Now, if you only think of spiritual gifts as talents, 
then if you don't feel like you have a talent at something, that you're better than others, that you're exceptionally good at something, then you really will think, well, I don't have a gift. Right? Because if we equate it with talents, that's our problem. But actually, that's not really the idea of spiritual gifts. Let me give you a working definition of what a spiritual gift is if you take into account this whole chapter. I think it's better to see a spiritual gift, a charismata, as an ability matched with an opportunity to serve others in the church in whatever way you can. You got that? An ability, not necessarily a talent, but an ability. Are you able to? Can you? Match with an opportunity. And it's for the others in the church to serve them. So it may be something that you're talented at. Great. But it may not be. Do you see? That's my point. It may be just something you're okay at, that you just have an ability. You can do it. Like, I don't think I have a talent for admin. I certainly don't love it. But I can do it. And sometimes I need to do it. Actually, I do need to do it often for your sake. Right? So something that you're just okay at, but there's a need and you can do it. You can faithfully serve doing it to the best of your ability. That's more a spiritual gift rather than just a talent. Um, And that means something that we have to really grapple with. A spiritual gift can come and go. It can simply be circumstantial. because, And that's how it's different to a talent. A talent tends to stay with you, yeah? But a spiritual gift may not stay with you. Let me give you an example. Early on, our, our church is about to celebrate 10 years. I'll tell you more about that later on. But earlier on in, in, in our church, um, and if you were here right at the beginning, you might remember that I would sometimes, often, too often, um, pick up a guitar and lead the worship. Right? Now, I think back then I had a spiritual gift in music. But... I don't have it anymore in that there is actually no need for me to pick up a guitar and lead worship, and probably for your sake, that's a good thing too. But you see, a spiritual gift, if it's an ability matched with an opportunity, well, yeah, I have the ability, but the the opportunity is no, no longer needed for the senior pastor to pick up a guitar and lead worship. And so you can sometimes think of a spiritual gift as, well, it was, there, it was for then, but it's not now. Do you, do you see? You've got to think about it in a much more biblical way, not just tied to talent. Okay, so that was my second point. Every Christian is a charismatic. Third, the key idea in the whole chapter is summarized by three words, unity in diversity. You've got that? Unity in diversity. The many and the one. The one in the many. So uh, look with me again. Verses 4 to 6 really are the, the central part of this chapter. You understand verses 4 to 6, the whole chapter makes sense. So verses 4 to 6, let me read again. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, what do you notice? Well, you notice that the emphasis is on what I said. Three words. Unity, one, in the midst of diversity, many. All kinds of different gifts and service and workings, but one Spirit, one Lord, one God. Pretty clear. Did you notice something else? Did you notice the Trinity? Did you notice the Trinity? God who is one God is the perfect example of unity and diversity, isn't he? One God but three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here we've got it in reverse order. One Spirit, one Lord, Jesus, one God, and... I think he means particularly God the Father. It's very appropriate that the one and the many is modeled on the Trinity. 
Unity in diversity at the very heart of the universe. Now, I say these are also key verses because these three elements give us a clue to how the rest of the chapter is pretty much broken up. We won't go through each part in detail, but actually, verses 7 to 11 will play on the idea of the Spirit being the one source. It's kind of the unifying idea in that section. The next section, verses 12 to 14, emphasize the idea of Jesus being the Lord of the one body. It's His body. And then verses 15 to 26, while it's still on the body of Christ, will particularly emphasize it's about God and His one purpose. So it's a really nice few verses that really open up the rest of the chapter for us. But coming back to the key idea, it's unity and diversity. Let's think about it. The same God who made snow, which if you've seen it, blankets a mountain in this kind of uniform whiteness. Well, he also made each snowflake unique. Amazing, isn't it? You and I are all different. We all have different gifts. We all have different parts to play, but we are one. That's the key idea. Verse 7 says that each gift... Each charismata is a manifestation, a display of God's Spirit, and it's given for the common good. You see there, end of verse 7? For the common good. We're to be unified in our diversity It's because it's for the common good. Next point. There are more gifts than the ones listed. This is important because when it comes to spiritual gifts, you could go online, you can read books, articles, surveys, which we've actually done in the past, to find your spiritual gift. And that's okay, right? Sometimes it's helpful, but a lot of it works on the assumption that this list of New Testament gifts are all the possible gifts that God has to give to His people. So you find all the parts in the Bible where there's gifts like here and other places we'll mention in a moment, and they're the list. And so you do a survey and you try and match yourself to that list. Now, most scholars of the New Testament agree that Paul, who writes here, and other New Testament writers who wrote about spiritual gifts, there's not many, but they all pretty much agree none of them um, intended to be a full list, okay? Or that even any of them knew what a full list would be, even if there was a full list. Now, in here, in in this this chapter and the next chapter, uh, chapter 13, which we'll look at next week, We have the longest list, the biggest list. Other places, in case you want to look it up later on, Romans 12 is another, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. They're basically it, right? 1 Corinthians 12 to 13, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. But again, even if you put it together or separately, they're not full lists. That's important to remember. There are many, many more types of spiritual gifts that aren't included here. So what are these gifts then? Because we want to understand this passage. So let me go through these gifts quickly, one by one, and then ask the question, well, why did he only focus on these ones and not others? So firstly, what? So let's go through them one by one. Look at verses 8 to 10. He first mentions a message of wisdom and message of knowledge. You can count them as two separate ones or 1A and 1B if you like. Verse 8. What is that? Well, this seems to be an ability to speak into someone else's life in a helpful way, right? A message that you can give to someone to help them in some way. If it's wisdom, a message of wisdom is probably more directive and more practical to their situation. If it's knowledge, then it's more general, passing on the truths of God or the, what's revealed in the Bible so that it might be helpful for them, all right? 
Now, many of you who are leaders, especially in CG context or other contexts, you have this gift. That's why you teach. You give wisdom, you give knowledge. All right, next one. Verse 9, the gift of faith. Now, this isn't faith that saves you, that helps you become a Christian in the first place. Um, He probably means here a supernatural faith to believe God for something that is situationally unlikely, humanly impossible even, generally unexpected or miraculous. All right? It's believing in something that God hasn't told everyone would happen, but you believe it's going to happen and it does happen. It's a supernatural faith not everyone has. Now, if you're a history buff and you want to read about a couple of guys that I think, a lot of people think might have had a clear gift of faith, then um, there's a guy called George Mueller who... uh, you know, 150 years ago, helped build lots of orphanages in England. Um, and there's the um, famous missionary to China, James Hudson Taylor. I think that may be another example of the gift of faith. Anyway, that's faith. Next one, verse 9. Gifts of healing. Now notice, it's gifts, plural. Now in the original context, it probably means supernatural healing. And it's plural gifts because... It may be that someone might have a gift of healing some particular ailment, but not all ailments. And others might be able to heal that ailment, but not, you know. So there's more than one type of gift of healing. But I think in context, it's probably talking about supernatural healing. And then verse 10, you've got the next one, miraculous powers. Um, In that is a sort of catch-all for other miracles that aren't just healing. I mean, Jesus didn't just heal. He did a lot of healing, but he also multiplied food. He walked on water. He stilled the storm. He turned water to wine. Other miraculous powers. It's another gift. Next one, prophecy in verse 10. Now, there's a lot of debate on this, and really I'm going to cover it in more detail in two weeks' time in chapter 14. But it probably, prophecy means the ability to communicate a message given by God Right? tailored to a particular group or person. To deliver a message given by God, tailored to a particular group or person. It's a different to teaching. Right? It's different to teaching, and it's not identical to preaching, but I think there's some overlap. But I'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks. That's prophecy. Second one. Oh, sorry, next one after that. Uh, verse 10, distinguishing between spirits, Now, because it's tied to prophecy, it probably means particularly a gift to be able to evaluate, to weigh up whether someone who's just given a prophecy has actually given a prophecy from God or from a false spirit or somewhere in between. It might have just been something from their own spirit, you know, their own kind of heart, their own hobby horse, their own feelings, their own emotions, right? Be able to distinguish, is it God-given, is it person-given, or is it actually satanic even? That's distinguishing between spirits. And last two, more of an A and B one again, speaking in tongues and interpretation. So speaking in tongues is an ability to speak and particularly pray in a language a person haven't previously learned, whether it's a human language or an unknown language or an angelic language, something. Gift of interpretation can make that unknown language understandable, not just to others, but also to the speaker themselves sometimes. All right? Now, that was like super breakneck speed. 
There are books you can read more about it. But I wanted to go through them, not just to ask what they are, but to ask the question of why. Why would these gifts be listed and not others? Keep in mind, this is not a full list, and no part of the Bible has a full list. So Romans 12, for example, will include other gifts that are really much less miraculous and spectacular, but just as important. Gifts of encouragement, of showing mercy, of generosity. So why in 1 Corinthians 12 these ones? Well, it probably has to do with the fact that the issue that the Corinthians were really trying to deal with had everything to do with these kind of gifts. You notice they're all more or less supernatural ones, okay? Or at least upfront, showy type gifts. And it seems like the Corinthians really had issues dividing them from these gifts, especially, we think, the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues seems to be the big one. And that's not surprising if you know some of the history of the Pentecostal or what's called the charismatic movement in the 20th century. Tongues can be such a dividing issue. It's an inside or outside issue. It's a if you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't issue. Right? And it seems like the Corinthians were really divided on that one. And not just tongues, but also the other miraculous gifts like healing and prophecy and See, no church has ever divided over gifts of encouragement or generosity or administration. I'm so jealous of your gift of administration, therefore I'm not talking to you anymore. It never happens. Right, this list, therefore, is less of a checklist of which gifts are available. It's probably more about the kind of gifts that when used badly can seriously damage a church. So we need to pay attention not just because of what they are, but why they're mentioned here, so we don't make the same mistakes. All right, next point, and this is really important. We'll get to the practical end now. We are all indispensable. Indispensable means you can't do without. Indispensable members of Christ's body. So from verses 12 to the end of the chapter, you get that key idea, image introduced, it's Jesus, or sorry, Christ's body. And remember, the key point is, again, unity and diversity, right? The three key words, unity in diversity. All different, but now it's because we are all part of the same body, under the same Lord, serving the same purpose. So look at verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Skip down to 27. 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. When it comes to spiritual gifts, some may have more gifts, some may have fewer gifts. But whether you have this gift or that gift, whether you have lots of gifts or fewer gifts, it's up to God. You see, repeated in this chapter, this key idea, verse 11. Just as he determines, God. Verse 18, just as he wanted them to be. Verse 24, God has put the body together. Verse 28, God has placed. You see, God designed the body. And God designed you to be a part of that body just where you are. It's his plan. It's his purpose. So don't begrudge others. Don't look down on others. Don't envy others. Because to do that is sort of to say, God, you made a mistake and I would have done a better job than you, God, in designing this body. Do you see? There's all grace. There's no place for boasting. We all need each other just as every part of your body needs every other part. Okay? 
Every part needs every other. Now, in verses 15 to 26, he's going to spell it out. And we don't have time to read it all in detail. But there, Paul really is going to address two groups. Two groups. So the first bit, verses 15 to 20, 15 to 20, he's going to speak to those who feel less important, who feel less gifted, like you don't have as much to offer. And then he's going to switch it to the other group in verses 21 to 26. 21 to 26, he's going to speak to those who feel more important, who feel like they're more gifted. Now, what does he say to the first group, 15 to 20? If you feel less important, God says to you, don't forget, we need you. Right? If you feel less important, we need you. What's he going to say to the second group? Verses 21 and 26, he's going to say to them, if you feel more important than others, don't forget, you need me. Now, me being the people who aren't more important, who don't feel more important. Right? So if you feel less important, the message is, I need you still. If you feel more important, you need to hear, you need me still. See, the first group need to know that not everyone can be eyes and hands. That's what he says in verses 15 and 20. But we still need you, even though you're a foot or a year, unless you want the body to look like this. And no one wants to look like that, a giant eye. And the second group needs to know that even though you don't think you're important, oh, sorry, you don't think other people are as important as you, right? As you look around, they're not as important as me. Well, they are still very important to the body. Those who don't have your gifts that may be the more upfront, spectacular, showy gifts, they are still absolutely necessary, as much as your upfront showy gifts might be seen as necessary. So I don't know if you guys know what these things are. They both belong to a car. The one on the left is called an ignition module. The one on the right is a radiator hose. Now, I don't know much about cars, but I've read that the ignition module is one advanced piece of electronic, right? It's pretty complex, and you cannot start your car without it. The second, the radiator hose, well, the idea of a hose has been around for thousands of years. It's pretty basic tech, and yet your car also cannot function without it, and many other hoses. But you see, for a car to function, you need both the complex ignition as well as the simple radiator hose. Every part plays a role. Now, there are both groups here at Southwest, at SWEC. Some of you here, you look around you and you feel like, what can I contribute? I'm really just not that talented at stuff. Or you look around you and you think, yeah, I may be able to, have, might have talents, but there doesn't seem to be a need for me. So I'm just going to pull right back. Well, if that's you, did you know that if God brought you to this church and this is your church, then there is some part of this body that is not functioning as well as it could because you're not involved. We need you. This body needs you. There's something missing because you're not involved. Now, others here, the second group, you need to realize that the body functions best when every single member is given an opportunity to exercise their gifts. 
So those of you who are great at doing things, leaders especially, experienced people, can I encourage you to see it as your role to train and empower new people, noobs, to have a go? See it as your role, not just to do the work, serve in the capacity, but to look out for, encourage, train, empower noobs. Now, let me say it's easier said than done because if you've ever done something well and you're experienced at it, it's pretty frustrating and difficult to let it go, especially if you're a control freak, because you can always do it better and more efficiently. But training is frustrating because you will always need to drop quality and efficiency in the short term. But that's the key, isn't it? In the short term. So, if you are in a position where you've done something and you do it well, be willing to empower someone else to do it. Not as well initially, but in the long term, it means that more people serve. The body grows stronger. That's what we want, isn't it? That's our purpose. So let me encourage you to do that if you're in the second group. Now, my wife, Karen, a couple of months ago, she sprained her ankle pretty badly. Um, and after a few weeks of that, she went to see the physio and her hips and her calf muscles were all affected by her sprained ankle. And if you know anything about uh, body mechanics, that's what happens. Because your body compensates for one hurting part, the other parts overcompensate, and so the other parts end up being out of whack and hurting as well. That, that's how body works, and that's what verse 26 says. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices in it. We all need each other. Right? If there's a deficiency in one part, it's going to affect everyone else. But if one part is honored, then everyone else can rejoice. All right, so that's a long point five. Next couple are very much shorter. Number six, it is good to desire greater gifts. Now, Paul ends the chapter in verse 31 right at the end, and you notice he says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. He's saying this is what you should be desiring. You should desire greater gifts. What does that mean? Well, in the verses just before it, we won't read it again, verses 28 to 29, he lists a number of gifts or a number of the types of people God gives to the church. And he orders them, you'll note. He starts with apostles up the top, right down to tongues at the bottom. And then he says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Presumably, he wants you to go up the scale. Now, that's a bit surprising given everything we've said, right? It seems a bit of a contradiction. I thought every gift was important. How can some be greater? How can there be an order? Well, this will be fleshed out in more detail in a couple of weeks' time in chapter 14, but let me give you a preview. Greater is not what we think is greater. Greater, especially in light of chapters 13 and 14, greater is what's most helpful for the most number of people in a particular church. You got that? Greater is what's most helpful for the most number of people in a particular church. It's entirely other person-centered, not about self-centered greatness. And here's the other key. What's greater may be different from one church to another church. Now, what, what do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 27 again. Verse 27, it says, you are the body of Christ. Who is the you? The you is, Paul is writing, to the church in Corinth. Right? It's a church in one place, one part of the world. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say to them, you are a body of Christ. He says, you are the body of Christ. 
He doesn't even say you are part of the body of Christ. He says you are the body of Christ. What is he saying there? Because there are lots of churches all around the world by that time. So he is saying that you, Corinthian church, this local church, or we sometimes call a local church, even though you're just one local church of thousands, you are meant to be the body of Christ where you are. You got that? Every local church, whether it's a mega church of thousands or a house church of two families, every local church is the body of Christ. Not just a part of the body of Christ. Not just a body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. This means that this body of Christ here at SWEC, in this body of Christ, there will be gifts that are going to be more needed at this time that can benefit others and benefit more people, but will be different at another church. That's the whole point. Right? What's greater, what's most important in terms of gifts, is going to vary from church to church and even from congregation to congregation. I'll just give you an example. At this congregation, I think we're pretty good with music team members at this point in time. We've got quite a few of them. We've got enough preachers, there's enough pastors to go around preaching, students and so on. Um, We're doing pretty well nowadays with service leaders. But you know what? We really need, continually need more kids, teachers and helpers. All right? Now, that's us right now at this congregation. It would be different in another body of Christ. Do you see what I mean? And so it's really great if you're motivated after what we've heard today. If you want to see the body of Christ here at Sweck built up. It's great if you desire greater gifts. As long as what you mean by greater is not your version of greater, but other person-centered. Of what can benefit the most number of people in this body at this time and it's great to desire to be able to fill that need see the corinthians likely thought the greater gifts were speaking in tongues because that was so cool and you know it made you seem so spiritual well paul as important as that gift is because all gifts are important but he actually noticed that every single list he puts it right at the bottom right at the bottom right at the bottom why because he's trying to turn around what they think is important Right? We have to now judge greater by another standard as what's most helpful to others. So let's apply this. Maybe as a result of today's sermon, you feel convicted to step up and serve the body of Christ here at SWEC. It's fantastic. So how do you go about doing that? Well, one starting point, and this is the usual starting point that people will talk about as well, begin by looking at you. Look at yourself. What are your abilities? How has God made you? And then find the gift and the opportunity to use it. Okay, that's one way you could do. Start by looking at you. But let me suggest to you another starting point. And it's worth considering, especially what we looked at this chapter. Don't start from you. Start from the church. That is, look around or ask around. What are the needs at SWEC? And how can I serve given the needs now and i i may find a need that i have zero experience in to but i'm willing i'm able i'm available to learn now maybe after trying that you realize you're unsuited to do it in the long term right so it's not just about talents but ability has something to do with it so you might be like oh yeah there's a need at the sound table or the pa desk but you realize you have like 
no ability to click a mouse for some reason or press a button. You're just really bad at it. And it's possible. That's okay. And now you've realized. And it may not be suitable for you to continue serving that ministry long term. You've got to be humble enough to say, no, nah, it's probably not for me, but I'm glad I got, it, got to give it a go. But it may be, like with so many, I'll tell you what, you know these band members, a lot of these guys who play drums, guitar, most of them haven't had lessons in those, less, in those instruments. I can still remember when Tim Lim first picked up a guitar, right? It was because we just needed a youth band because we were sick of me playing. And he's gone reasonably good now. <laughs> a lot of kids ministry leaders never had a go. And then now it's like, oh, wow, I, I, not only do I like teaching kids, I'm pretty good at it. You don't know until you've had a go. And it may be that you, by trying, filling a need, will discover a passion, perhaps even a talent. So if that's you, and you're like, yeah, I really want to do something to be part of this body, come and have a conversation with myself, with Pastor Marshall, uh, or one, one of your um, CG leaders. And then finally, last point, and this is a super short point, there is something even better than gifts. After all of this, Paul says, I will show you a more excellent way. There is something even more important than gifts, and that's going to come in the next chapter. So we'll leave it till then. Let's pray. Father, help us as the body of Christ here to have every follower of Jesus play his or her part, that we may honor the one who called us and gave us these gifts, Jesus, that we may build up this body into maturity and into its effectiveness in this world to see more people follow Jesus, and that every single one of us will be convicted to play our part for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. 让我们来一同祷告。亲爱的主，我们感谢你赐给我们你的话，神啊，我们知道啊，在教会中间，圣灵会赐下恩赐。神啊，我们今天祈求你来帮助我明白，因为在我们啊这样的教会，我们更需要
，我不知道我讲的是什么话，但是我可能突然间用这种语言来祷告。所以，当他自己在圣经的做一些中文经文中间，他觉得说圣灵的喜的标志就是说方言，然后他说我们这些人都不会说方言，都不会用这个方言来祷告，然后他就啊、呃，接下来就一个结论就是我们都没有接受圣灵的喜。他，因为他是一个神学院的老师，他也这样的教他的学生。然后，在一九零零年的十二月三十一号，一九零零年十二月三十一号，在那一个啊这个年的最后一天，有几个学生就召开了一个祷告敬拜的聚会。这个祷告敬拜的聚会延延迟呃延长了好多时间，大概有好几个小时的样子。1901年的1月1号的那一天的下午，其中有一个学生叫做 Agnes Osman， 是一个女孩子。这个女孩子呢，她就对她的老师 Charles Fox Parham 说：“请你为我按手，我希望能够接受圣灵的喜。”然后，当她的老师 Charles Fox Parham 按手在她的身上以后，神奇的事情发生了。这个女孩子突然之间说出了方言，在她的祷告中间，她就开始用别的一国的语言。据他们的历史、他们的记录，虽然说他们没有呃明确，但是呢，他们的记录说她说的是中文。也就是在那一场的这个聚会里面，当这个老师为她按手了以后，她突然之间开始用另外一种语言。据说是中文祷告。在接下来的一段日子里面，另外一个人开始登场了，他的名字叫 William Joseph Simmer， 他是一个非洲裔的美国人，他是 Charles Fox Parham 的学生，他是一个黑人，因为当时黑人和白人不能在一个教室上课。黑人和白人因为当时的种种族分离，所以黑人和白人不能在一个教室上课。所以 Charles Fox Parham 就跟他说：“我上课的时候，你在窗外听。”然后他就一直的跟着这个 Charles Fox 听课。学生上完课都是在里面，但是他在外面。一九零六年，这个人 Simmer 他去了洛杉矶，有人邀请他去的。邀请他去了，他到了那里以后，他就跟几个信徒开始追求圣灵的喜，他们所说的圣灵的喜，追求方言祷告的恩赐，因为人家非常的这个呃，对他所讲的很怀疑。他说：“你告诉我们，圣灵的喜的标记是讲方言，说方言。如果你自己都不会说方言，你怎么能够这样的教导我们呢？”然后他说：“好，那我开始追求。”他就和几个信徒经过十天的祷告进食，十天，然后在有一天，他也讲出了方言。在这个他这个 William Joseph Simmer 讲出方言的这件事情已发生了以后，发生了一件很重要的事情，叫做 Asusa Street Revival， 又称为亚述沙街复兴。为什么说发生这么一件事情？因为他后来就把他聚会的地点搬到了这个洛杉矶的有一条街叫 Asusa Street， 亚述沙街。搬到了那里以后呢，有许多的人，黑人、白人，就开始来到他的这聚聚会中间
，他们发现说这个人竟然会讲方言，我们也想来追求。很多人来，来了以后呢，很多人就开始讲方言。所以从这个这条街开始，就是带来了我们现在所知道的五旬节运动和灵恩运动。所以如果大家在呃街上我们呃走路的时候，我们看见有些教会叫做神造会。神造会就是五旬节教运动的教会，五旬节又称为圣灵降临节，所以他们就把他们的教会叫做五旬节教会，也有一些教会叫做神造会。从这个五旬节运动里面又出来有一个分支，或者说呃新的一一代叫做灵恩运动。灵恩运动里面包括像我们所知道的，在悉尼鼎鼎大名的 Hillsong，Hillsong 教会就是一个。灵恩运动的教会，在台湾有一个叫非常出名的叫林良堂，在新加坡有很出名的叫城市丰收教会等等的，在很多地方，世界上最大的教会很可能在各个国家都是灵恩的教会，而且灵恩的教会是世界上增长最快的教会，传统的教会。增长就是有一点，但是灵恩的教会是全世界增长最大的、最多的教会。那我们作为信徒，我们该怎么样去对待五旬节运动和灵运动呢？我们对于方言、医病的恩赐以及先知预言这些恩赐，所谓圣经上告诉我们圣灵的恩赐，我们该持什么样的态度呢？如果在你的身边，你有认识一些朋友，他们是去参加啊 Hill Song 的，或者是他们是参加某某的神造会的，那么我们对对他们的追求，我们是怎么样的态度呢？首先，第一点，我们要非常的清楚，是灵运动里面他们一开始的这个结论，圣灵的喜的标记就是讲方言，就是用方言祷告，这个结论是错的。圣灵的喜和恩赐在时间上面没有固定的关系。圣灵的喜和圣灵的恩赐在时间上面没有固定的关系。保罗在哥林多前书的十二章十三节这样说：“我们不拘是犹太人，是希利尼人，是为奴的，是自自主的，都从一位圣灵受洗，成了一个身体，引与一位圣灵。”在这里面告诉我们，每一个信徒是在圣灵里面受洗，归入了耶稣基督的身体，成为他身体上的一肢体。所以，圣灵的洗的这个作用是什么？它的作用是让我们成为基督身体的一个部分。因为这个原因，圣灵的洗发生在一个人成为基督徒的最初期的阶段。一个人什么时候受圣灵的喜，是在他成为一个基督徒的那个时候。一个人成为基督徒，他需要悔改，就是你要从你的罪里面悔改归向神，你要相信耶稣，并且得到圣灵的喜。悔改加上信，相信是人对福音的反应。我们听到了福音，听到了耶稣基督为罪人死，神在基督里面呼召我们悔改。他赦免我们的罪，所以因为这个原因，我们听到这个福音，我们就悔改，我们相信。当我们相信、我们悔改的时候
圣灵的喜，就是神把圣灵浇灌在那些悔改和相信的人身上。圣灵的喜标志着一个新的基督徒入门了，叫入门阶段。他成为基督的身体的一个肢体。所以，最早的五旬节运动认为，一个基督徒未必领受了圣灵的喜，这是不对的。圣灵的喜是神把圣灵浇灌在那些悔改相信的人身上，这个人受圣灵的喜就归入了基督的身体。如果没有圣灵的喜，假设如果一个人他说我相信了耶稣基督，但是他又相信他没有得到圣灵的喜。但是，首先要明白，如果一个人他没有圣灵的喜，他就不是真正意义上的基督徒，因为没有圣灵。如果他没有圣灵，保罗在罗马书第八章第九节告诉我们：人如果没有基督的灵，他就是不属于基督的。如果人说我没有圣，我没有基督的灵，我没有得到圣灵的喜，我就不是属于基督的。所以。真正的基督徒，他一定领受了圣灵的喜，没有受圣灵的喜，就不是真基督徒。所以，没有受圣灵的喜的基督徒，这个词就是一个伪命题，是不存在的。但是如果我们作为信徒，我们平时遇见呃林恩的或者五星爵的教会的基督徒，他们会问你：你会不会用方言祷告？然后你回答我不会，然后他就会说：“那你还没有领受圣灵的喜呢。如果没有领受圣灵的喜，你的生活和见证就缺少能力。”这个是五旬节的教会和灵恩的教会常常会对我们这些所谓传统教会的人的挑战。你不会方言祷告，你就没有圣灵的喜；你没有圣灵的喜，你的生活和见证缺少能力。那我们应该怎么回答呢？我们应该回答：对我确实不会用方言祷告，但是我已经领受了圣灵的喜。在我刚刚信主的时候，我就领受了圣灵的喜。那圣灵的恩赐又是什么呢？保罗在经文里面非常清楚的告诉我们：圣灵的恩赐是圣灵的彰显，圣灵的显现，圣灵显现在个人的身上。那些已经领受圣灵的人，圣灵彰显出来，把恩赐赐给他，这就是圣灵的恩赐。圣灵的恩赐，我们上一次讲过，圣灵的恩赐啊，有、呃、在保罗在哥林多前书里面一共列举了九种的恩赐：智慧的言语、知识的言语、信心、医病的恩赐、神迹，还有做先知预言，还可以辨别诸灵。能说各种的方言，还有人能够翻译方言，这是列举了九种的圣灵的恩赐。圣灵的恩赐可以发生在一个信徒一生的任何阶段，可以发生在刚刚信主的时候。所以，为什么连教会的信徒把圣灵的喜和圣灵的恩赐联系在一起？因为在《使徒的行传》里面，圣灵的喜和圣灵的恩赐。的发生就放在一起，但是圣灵的恩赐也可以发生在一个人信主一定的年日以后
，圣灵的喜和圣灵的恩赐在实践上不一定同时发生。我要再次说明一点：圣灵的喜和圣灵的恩赐，圣灵的喜可以发生在一个基督徒属灵历程的最初阶段，伴随着圣灵的喜，可以有圣灵的恩赐，也可以没有。圣灵的恩赐可以发生在基督徒信主一段时间以后才发生，所以第一个要想想，我要先跟大家讲清楚，圣灵的喜和圣灵的恩赐是两个概念。圣灵的喜是基督或者神把圣灵赐给我们，让我们成为耶稣基督身体上的一个肢体。圣灵的恩赐是圣灵彰显在我们这些已经领受圣灵的人身上。那对待圣灵恩赐的态度，我们应该怎么样呢？在五旬节教会和灵恩的教会里面，非常看重圣灵的恩赐。他们这样的追求是一种正确的态度吗？那神在圣经里面是怎么样吩咐我们呢？保罗接下来告诉我们，对待圣灵的这个恩赐，首先有一个态度，我们要你们要追求爱，也要热切的渴慕圣灵的恩赐，特别是先知预言的恩赐。在这里面，保罗的教导是什么？我们首先要追求爱，同时要热切的渴慕属灵的恩赐。所以。假如灵恩教会的信徒，他们同时做好这两点：追求爱，并且要热切的渴慕属灵的恩赐，或者是圣灵的恩赐，他们做的是一件正确的事情。热切的渴慕圣灵的恩赐，同时追求爱。但是在这两个方面，保罗把追求爱放在热切的追渴慕圣灵的恩赐的前面。也就是我们如果说要热切的渴慕圣灵的恩赐，但是没有做好追求爱，我们追求这样的恩赐是很危险的。那什么叫追求爱呢？提摩太后书在啊、呃、圣经里面，提摩太后书他也有讲过，基督徒应该追求什么？希伯来书里面，基督徒也应该追求什么？提摩太后书二章的二十二节告诉我们说。你应当逃避少年人的私欲，要和那些以清洁的心求告主的人一同追求公义、信心、爱心、和平。保罗对提摩太说：“你要追求公义、信心、爱心、和平。”希伯来书的作者也对基督徒说：“你们要追求与众人和睦，并且要追求圣洁。如果没有圣洁，谁也不能见主。”所以在这里。圣经告诉我们，基督徒应该追求什么？追求爱，追求公义、信心、爱心、和平，追求与众人和睦，追求圣洁。追求，我们如果说一个士兵追求当军官，甚至像拿破仑说的，一个不想当元帅的士兵不是一个好兵。士兵他追求当军官，商人追求利润。如果说士兵追求当官、当军官，商人追求利润的话，基督徒就追求爱、公义、信心、和平、圣洁。
、爱、公义、信心、和平、圣洁，这些是基督徒的美德和品格，是我们基督徒属灵生命成长的奋斗目标。那爱是什么呢？上一个星期，克里兄在这里跟我们讲过，爱在。这个哥林多前书里面，他给了定义，我再重复一下：爱是恒久忍耐，又有恩慈；爱是不嫉妒、不自夸、不张狂，不做失礼的事，不求自己的益处，不轻易动怒，不计较人的过犯，不喜欢不义，只喜欢真理。爱是凡事包容，凡事相信，凡事盼望，凡事忍耐。在这个例子，这个对爱的一个描述或者定义里面，其实爱就是我们基督徒要追求的一个品格的培养，要追求的是那种流露出爱的生命，爱家人，爱我们的弟兄姐妹，甚至是爱世上的每一个人。所以，在保罗对我们说，我们要首先追求爱，在这里追求爱是不能喊口号的。追求爱需要我们在生活中间实实在在的活出我们的信仰。现在基督徒在不信的人面前不敢说“爱”这个字，教会也不敢提。我们教会的这个名字下面有一行字叫做“分享基督的盼望”。为什么不说分享基督的爱呢？因为当我们在取这个名字的时候，我们知道现在我们走出去，我们都很害羞。为什么？我们没有做到什么爱。所以“爱”这个词是我们在教会里面喊喊口号的东西。把我们在人群中间一放呢，我们立刻就表现出我们的自私自利。所以保罗在这里面首先第一点就告诉我们说，要追求爱。如果你要。热切的渴慕属灵的恩赐，首先第一点，不要忘记要追求爱。所以《格林多前书》里面这个爱的阐释、爱的篇章，是我们基督徒应该常常的背诵、默想，然后照着这段经文生活，让我们的生活能够成为这段经文的写照。对于恩赐，首先第一点，保罗的教导要追求爱。同时，也要热切的渴慕圣灵的恩赐，所以这是两手抓的事情，鱼也要，熊掌也要。我们既要在生活中间流露出对神的爱，同时要热切的渴慕圣灵的恩赐。保罗在前面提过圣灵的恩赐，他提到了九种，每一种都很珍贵，因为是从圣灵而来，包括方言祷告的恩赐。在这里面，我要再次跟大家提一点。有很多的神学家，他们提出圣灵恩赐终止论。他们说，在教会最初的时候有圣灵的恩赐，但是呢，现在已经没有了。那如果说是已经没有了，那我上一次也跟大家提过，著名的斯布真，著名的宋尚杰传宋尚杰，著名的像台湾的吴永长老，在他们的生平中间都有过圣灵的恩赐的彰显。如果说在他们的身上有圣灵的恩赐的彰显，圣灵的彰显，那我们怎么能够说圣灵的恩赐已经终止了呢？因为圣灵的恩赐没有终止，所以我们现在的教会，我们现在的信徒，应该还是仍然去追求圣灵的恩赐。
但是我们要追求的时候，首先还要记得保罗说的：我们要追求爱，同时要热切的渴慕胜利恩赐。保罗在后面的接下来经文里面，他就讲了两个重要的恩赐，他要比较两个重要的恩赐，一个是先知预言的恩赐，一个是方言祷告的恩赐。他接下来说。我们要热切的渴慕属灵的恩赐，特别是先知预言的恩赐，因为他说先知预言是比方言祷告更重要的恩赐。在这里面，我把它翻译成为先知预言的恩赐。如果大家注意我们和合本的经文，或者说其他的新译本，在先知语言都翻译成为先知讲道。那为什么我不用先知讲道？其实先知讲道和先知语言没有什么区别。首先，预言不是。说将来会发生什么？也许会，但预言的最重要的这个目目的是代表神说话。只要是神给你的话，你向别人传讲，这都叫先知预言，或者说先知讲道。但是为了我要在这里告诉大家，这个先知讲道，如果大家认为说哦，这个是传道人的事情，那我说不是的。在这里面，这个先知预言的恩赐，先知讲道的恩赐，是给每一个信徒的。因为他是一个代表神说话来对别人说的。那先知预言为什么比方言祷告更好呢？因为先知预言造就别人，造就教会。保罗说：“原来说方言第二节，原来那说方言的不是对人说，而是对神说，因为没有人能听得懂，他是在灵里讲奥秘的事。”但那先知预言是对人讲说，使他们得着造就、安慰和劝勉。那说方言的是造就自己，但那先知预言是造就教会。先知预言比方言祷告更为重要。首先，第一点，方言祷告不是对人说，而是对神说。祷告的对象是神。不是人，我们祷告的时候，我们重要不是说我们要对别人说什么，祷告的对象是神。方言祷告既然它是一种祷告，所以它的对象也是神。所以保罗说，说方言的不是对人说，而是对神说，因为他是对神说，而且他用的是方言，是另外一种语言，所以没有人能听得懂。他是在灵里面讲奥秘的事情。很可能他自己也听不懂，没有人听得懂，他只是在灵里面讲奥秘的事情，这是神给他的。但是先知预言是什么呢？先知预言，先知预言的恩赐是代表神对人说话。当他从神那里得到话的时候，他就使别人得着造就、安慰和鼓励。什么叫造就呢？造就的词，我我简单的来定一下，或者说很狭义的来定一下。比如说，有一个很有追求的信徒，很有追求，但是呢，他在信仰上有疑惑，他有很多东西他搞不明白，甚至是有些是很很大的困难。在这个时候，神就借着你给你一句话，让你去解答他这样的疑惑。当你帮助他解答了这样疑惑以后呢，他的信心就更加坚固了。这样。他就被造就，他被建造起来。安慰，什么叫安慰呢？比如说，有人在教会里面受伤了
受伤，因为他在教会服侍，他服侍呢人，这个人说他不好，那个人说他不好，然后他就受伤了，他心情很不好，他心情很不好，他就决定说，我以后再也不要服侍了，甚至我也不想在这个教会待了。那在这个时候呢，神就借着一个信徒给他带去一句话或者一段话给他安慰，然后他觉得说。既然神这样的安慰我，我就有力量可以重新的服侍，这就是从神而来的安慰、劝勉或者说鼓励呢。比如说有一个信徒非常的软弱，他相信耶稣，但是他有很多的问题，很多他他的这个呃一些一些旧的习惯，他总是克服不了。在这个时候，神就借着一个人去给他一段话、一句话。能够鼓励他，帮助他走出他的软弱，这就是鼓励。所以，先知预言的恩赐是使人得着造就、安慰和劝勉，或者说鼓励。第四节，保罗说：“说方言的是造就自己，但是那先知预言的造就了教会，因为方言它只是造就自己，而先知的预言的恩赐是造就教会。因为这个原因，保罗就是说。”先知预言比方言祷告更好，为什么？造就别人比造就自己更好。在第五节里面，保罗说：“我愿意你们都说方言，但我更愿意你们都讲，都做先知预言，因为那说方言的，如果不翻译出来使教会得着造就，就远不如那讲道的了。方言祷告是。”好的恩赐，在这里面，保罗不是说方言祷告不好，方言祷告是好的恩赐，所以他才说：“我愿意你们都说方言，我愿意我们整个教会的人都会有这个方言祷告的恩赐。”但是他说：“我更愿意你们都有先知预言的恩赐，先知预言能够造就别人，能够造就教会，造就更多的人。”方言祷告只是造就一个人，所以先知预言是更好的恩赐，因为先知预言，他的这个造就的范围更大。那在这里面就有一个属灵的原则的问题，是从保罗在前面讲到身体和肢体这个关系应用出来的一个原则：造就教会比造就自己更加的重要。这是一个圣经的原则。造就教会比造就自己更加重要。如果说我们想要有属灵的追求，不管是任何的追求，我们不仅要考虑自己，我们也要考虑教会。比如说，教会需要有关怀恩赐的人做关怀的工作，不是每个人都会做关怀的工作，因为关怀的工作他需要说话，他说的话要使人能够得着安慰，得着鼓励。不是每个人都适合做关怀的工作。如果有做关怀恩赐的这个人，他来做关怀工作，这是更好的。有主日学恩赐的人，如果来做主日学的工作，这是更好的。有教导恩赐的人来做教导的工作，这是更好的。那有一个人，他有关怀的恩赐，但是他说：“我不想做这个，我更喜欢。”比如说，我更喜欢做厨房的服饰，不是说厨房的服饰不重要，而是说，当一个人他如果有关怀的恩赐的时候，他更应该做关怀的工作，因为
。在这个时候，他不仅是考虑着说我的兴趣是什么，而是他想的是教会更多的人能够因为我的服饰得到造就，得到安慰，得到鼓励。所以每个人都要在想，我在这个教会中间，我的恩赐是什么？我的恩赐。怎么样能够应用出来，使更多的人受益？所以，造就教会比造就自己更加的重要，这是一个原则。但是，这里面不是说的一次性的选择，我要对大家来解释一下，不是说一次性的选择。什么叫不是一次性的选择呢？比方讲说，有一个很著名的讲员，非常著名的这个呃神学家或者牧师，他来到悉尼。他有一个神学讲座啊，然后呢，你很想参加，但是呢，你又是以某某小组查经的这个带领人，那那一天你说有这个很著名的这个呃解经家，他来解释经文，但是呢，我今天要呃带这个小组查经，是不是必须我要留下来呢？在这个时候，我要对大家说，你。可以有自由去选择，那你说不是说了吗？我要更重要的是造就教会，而不是造就自己啊。那恩赐的选择上面，我们知道说，当神把一个恩赐赐给人的时候，他可以一直用这个恩赐来服侍人。但是如果只是一次性的选择的时候，你去参加了一个聚会，在那个在聚会里面，你有很多的得着，你可以去来关心。造就教导其他人，那这样的话，对这个小组是有更多的益处的。所以不是说一次性的选择，我今天我一定要来留下来造就教会，不是这个意思。你可以去，而且你甚至可以邀请你整个小组参加这个这个呃聚会。如果说没有人，你可以跟人换，你说可不可以由你来代查经？所以我说的这个不是一次性的事情。恩赐或者说我们才能在教会的服侍，这个是。很长时间的，这个是有很多的机会让我们服侍的。所以，如果说有很多机会、很长时间给我们服侍，我们就要把我们最好的恩赐用在最正确的地方。所以，在这里面，保罗告诉我们说：“因为说方言的只是造就自己，先知预言是造就教会，所以先知预言的恩赐是更好的恩赐。”对于我们教会来说，我们现在也许很，我们没有这些恩赐，但是在教会里面仍然是这样。如果说我能够造就教会，通过我给更多人得到这个福分和恩典，我要把我的这个恩赐使用出来。那接下来保罗就教导了，为什么方言祷告不如先知预言呢？他接下来这样说：“弟兄们。”你们想想，如果我到你们那里去，只说方言，不像你们讲有关启示、知识、预言或教训的话，那我对你们有什么益处呢？甚至那些没有生命却能发生的东西，例如箫或琴，如果音调不分，怎能使人知道所弹所奏的是什么呢？又如军号所发的声音不清楚，谁会准备作战呢？你们也是这样。如果用舌头发出人听不懂的话来，人怎会知道你所讲的是什么呢？这样你们就是向空气说话了。世上有那么多种语言，但没有一种是没有意义的。我若不明白某一种语言的意思
，在那讲的人，我就是个外国人；在我来说，那讲话的人也是个外国人。其实保罗在这里讲的很简单：先知预言可以造就人，方言祷告不能造就人的原因非常简单，因为人听不懂方言祷告。方言祷告是人用他从来没有学过的语言来祷告，很可能他自己也听不懂。他教会里的人也听不懂，因为听不懂，所以就不能造就、安慰、鼓励别人。所以这个原因很简单，因为别人听不懂。那这里面也有一个属灵的原则：如果我们想要用话语去造就、安慰、鼓励别人，我们要努力的把自己表达清楚。你如果说想要去鼓励人，你要把你表达清楚。作为东方人，我们说话的时候，很常在教会里面也可能会，呃，因为我们的习惯，我们是拐拐弯抹角，不会直接切入正题，这是我们的语言艺术。就算我们要拐弯抹角，我们最后面也一定要把我们想要说的表达清楚，因为我们必须表达清楚，才能够使人得到造就、安慰和鼓励。那在这里面，我也对我们自己，对我们这些讲到的人。啊、呃，要跟大家说，这对我们的期望是什么？对讲到的人的期望，最基础的、最基本的要求，他要把神的话解释清楚，这是最简、最基本的，让人明白经文是什么意思。所以，对于我来说，我希望你们能够常常的向我反馈，我在哪里讲的不清楚、不明白。让你在听了以后，仍然好像在云里雾里一样。那我知道了，我就知道怎么去改进。所以，因为人听不懂方言祷告，所以这个方言祷告不能造就人。放在教会里面，人听不懂任何你想说的话，你想说的话都没有造就的意义。那最后面，保罗他就开始总结，他就是说，我们要追求。造就教会的恩赐，所以保罗在这里经文十二节说：“你们也是这样，你们既然热切的渴慕属灵的恩赐，哥林多教会他们是热切的渴慕属灵的恩赐，他们希望能够有很多属灵的恩赐，就应当追求多多得着造就教会的恩赐。所以说方言的应当祈求，使他能把方言翻译出来。然后十八到十九节说。”我感谢神，我说方言比你们大家都多，但在教会中，我宁愿用理智说五句话去教导人，胜过用方言万句话。如果说我们要追求，我们就要追求让教会得到更多福分的这样的恩赐。那在这里面的时候，保罗他其实也给我们。略略的透露了一点点关于灵里面的祷告的这个奥秘。那我们，因为我们很多人不知道，不，我们没有方言的恩赐，我们也很难去体会。但是在这里面，保罗说：“我若用方言祷告，是我的灵在祷告，我的理智却没有作用。那么我应当怎样行呢？我要用灵祷告，也要用理智祷告；我要用灵歌唱，也要用理智歌唱。”这个“理智”这个词在原文里面，在英文里面翻译成 “mind”， 就是头脑、思想。我们通常祷告的时候，我们是需要去用我们的动用我们的思想，也就是我们在祷告的时候，我们要在想说我要怎么说
我我的祷告里面有什么内容？我有颂赞，我有呃认罪，我有为人代求等等的。我们是要去组织的，要在头脑里面把我们的整个思想，把我们要说的话组织起来。跟神说，在某种意义上来说，跟人说好像差不多。跟人说，我们要想怎么说；跟神说祷告，我们也要想怎么样祷告。但是方言祷告不一样，方言祷告是不需要动用人的思想的。人的思想不需要动用，当你祷告的时候，神就通过你的灵就开始把他要给你的这个祷告出来了。所以，方言祷告的恩赐是一个很神秘的事情，就是人在祷告的时候，他不需要动用他的大脑和思想，是一种什么样感觉？我不知道。但是，但是在这里面，保罗至少告诉我们一点。灵和这个思想的功用好像是有分别的。那回到我一开始的问题，五星节运动和灵恩运动都非常注重圣灵恩赐的追求，他们都非常注重圣灵的恩赐的追求。如果我们只知道说他们这种追求是一种狂热的行动，但我们就忘记了圣经对我们的教导。保罗说：“我们要。”追求爱，也要热切的渴慕圣灵恩赐的追求。我们所谓的传统教会或者福音教会，我们什么都没有，什么都没有，但是我们又觉得说他们只有狂热，我们的批判其实是不公允的。那保罗在这里面，他非常清楚的教导我们三点，我也跟大家讲过：第一，圣灵的恩赐。是好的，但是圣灵的恩赐不是圣灵的喜，圣灵的喜发生在信耶稣最初的日子，是一次性的，不再重复。圣灵的恩赐一生都可以追求。如果说神给了你方言祷告的恩赐，你可以追求先知预言的恩赐；如果你有了先知预言的恩赐，你可以追求医病的恩赐，你可以追求翻方言的恩赐等等的。所以，我们基督徒应该热切的渴慕圣灵的恩赐。但是，渴慕圣灵的恩赐必须要与追求爱同步。没有流露爱的基督徒生命，圣灵的恩赐对人是没有益处的。所以，首先要追求爱，同时我们要追求圣灵的恩赐。在追求圣灵的恩赐的时候，我们要特别追求。那些能够造就教会的恩赐，所以不仅仅灵恩教会的信徒追求应该追求圣灵恩赐，我们所谓的传统教会的信徒也应该追求圣灵恩赐。很简单，想一想，如果说在我们中间有弟兄或者姐妹有医病的恩赐，假如他有医病的恩赐，他能够为人祷告，并就得到医治。想一想，这对于我们整个教会来说会是多么大的福分？如果人有医病的恩赐，这难道不好吗？让我们来一同祷告。天父，我们感谢你。天父，我们谢谢你对于我们关于圣灵恩赐的教导。神啊，祈求你来恩待我们的。整个教会
，神啊，给我们更多的渴慕，也让我们能够啊明白啊，神你更看重我们去追求那些使整个教会得着祝福、得着造整个教会得着造就的这样的恩赐、这样的侍奉，恩待我们，听我们祷告，奉主耶稣名字，阿门。